The movies of the Marvel Cinematic Universe set records with their popularity, but are they any good? My feelings about the movies have always been lukewarm. They're fun, competently made, and consistent, but none of them have wowed me, and while I've enjoyed every Marvel movie I've seen, I haven't felt a desire to watch any of them a second time. My friend Lee Harridge disagrees and offered to come on the show to explain to me how I've gone wrong in evaluating the MCU. We talked about the quality of the films, the scope of the project Marvel undertook, how these movies compare to others in the genre, and where the MCU should go from here. We've seen quite a lot of attempts to build media franchises in the motion pictures over the years. I mean, we had James Bond going way back. We've had Star Wars. But clearly, I think the most successful, certainly the most successful financially, has been the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, What is it about their approach to franchise building that you think works so well? I mean, I think... I should say from the outset that I'm not, I don't work in the movie industry. This is just my sort of observations and reading uh, at a a layman's level, but I think it's really the production process. So yes, they have scope, um, but I think every, you know, anybody who's run a franchise in Hollywood would love to have like a movie series that goes without end. I mean, Bond is probably the, the closest that we've seen to just the scope of just in terms of number of movies, like, I mean, the Batman series is maybe, it's what, nine movies? Uh, yeah, seven or eight or nine movies. You know, Bond is 20-something. You know, So it's, it's it, they're so much further. And MCU is at, yeah, 22 or something. Um, so all of them would love to have this kind of storytelling. But I think it's really, you know, what Kevin Feige did and kind of, uh, and I'm going to give him all the credit, though, there's probably others, where in, in tying together this massive story in a way that's much more deliberate and ambitious than probably a lot of other movies. So, you know, most, from what I can tell, it's you, you make a movie, it makes money or it doesn't. Uh, if it does make money, let's make another one. Okay, this one makes money, let's... And they keep going, keep going. Um, Transformers is probably a good example where it's just like, at some point, they've just completely run out of ideas, but the movies keep making money, so they keep making movies. Um this is where they've, they've really brought this cohesive storytelling, a plan for, you know, a, I mean, really a plan. I don't, I'm interested in how far they plan in advance with specifics, but, you know, a plan for 15 or 20 movies. You know, you see the start of this story arc way back at the start in those first, you know, four or five movies in that phase one. So, you know, I think once you sort of get your head around, okay, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to build this this huge story from the outset i think it you, you can do different things than just let's just have a series of movies that are sort of interconnected with the same characters i think that i mean it it's interesting because it seems i've remarked that the the marvel movies feel more like really expensive episodes of an ongoing tv show than than feature films i mean they're obviously they're obviously feature films but they they tie together in that way, and it's not just in terms of the larger story arcs that you're describing. That you know, we have we have individual episodes that have their own internal story, um, their own a plots and b plots, and so on. But they tie into this large narrative that then comes together in a grand clash at like a season finale. You know, with each new Avengers movie, mm. um, and then and then we have you know what felt like a series finale in. Um, in Endgame, but 
but also in in the production too that they feel they feel very consistent in a way that say the the DC movies don't yeah. um in terms of their tone their directing their their acting their writing that they they feel I mean, yes, these are all done by different directors, but it doesn't really it doesn't really strongly feel that way. You yeah, know, like you're not you're not seeing like it. You know, this director's signature style coming through in, you know, in the second Iron Man movie versus the third <laughs> Iron Man movie, and yeah. so on. Uh, but and and so I think that's I mean that seems to be tying into what you're talking about is that it's it feels like this stuff was set out the way that if you were a showrunner. On you know like HBO is going to give you three seasons to do a show, you're going to plan it out that way. Yeah, and I mean like I obviously it's not every MCU movie is amazing. Like no one bets a thousand. You know the number of franchises that, that even have three movies that are good. Like I was thinking about this the other day after you suggested doing a podcast on this, where I think Back to the Future is probably the only the only only three movies I know of that are actually like all of them are good. Um, I think the Nolan Batman movies, like all of them are really great, but like particularly Dark Knight Rises, it's like a very flawed movie, but it's still a great movie. It's Yeah, I, mean, I sort of think it was a bit of like a flawed masterpiece. So obviously the MCU, there's a, like a wild array of quality, um, but I think you're right that it is, it is approaching it as if you're a showrunner, which actually, interestingly, I think is different from, say, comics. So I think... One of the problems with just general franchise building uh, and, and and generally TV up until really kind of the sort of golden age kicked in and you're sort of seeing these, you know, uh, you, you know the Sopranos or whatnot, like where, where you've got whole story arcs where you actually kind of have a bit of change across the seasons is that most, most shows always, the characters revert to me, you know. So uh, this is the best example for this in movies is Bond. James Bond is the same character in every movie. Like, they kind of sort of tried to have him with some sort of depth and some sort of changes, some sort of emotional resonance with other characters, uh, with Quantum of, you know, with uh, Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. But really, in the end, Bond is always Bond. And all you do is just switch out the actor for a different style on Bond. So Daniel Craig Bond is different from, uh, you know, uh, Sean Connery Bond is different from Roger Moore Bond. And in the end, Bond is Bond. Um kind of what they've done in the MCU is not quite like that. You know, you've actually, and this is, this is why I think they kind of do it differently and do it right in that Tony Stark at the start of Iron Man one, or even the end of, let's say the end of Iron Man, you know, I am Iron Man from that point, he actually changes quite a fair bit. Um, In fact, I think the four core Avengers all change in different ways and I use differently across all the movies. So Tony Stark starts off as, you know, the, the narcissistic, uh, playboy who thinks it's all kind of fun and by the end of endgame uh you know he's not only a father but like he's morphed to be fatherly so um he goes from being a central character in his own movies to then becoming a side player in civil war where he he goes from being the kind of the the anti-establishment figure to being the, the establishment figure which is a good foil for, for captain america who goes from being kind of the symbolic uh you know, uh, insti- you know, um, uh, you know, the side of America to being against home America. Uh, but then he, and then, you know, with, uh, uh, Peter Parker, he becomes fatherly and then he becomes an actual father. So like he changes quite a bit. Uh, Captain America, by contrast, he sort of changes 
he's I mean his core appeal is that he stays the same like he's always this like rock ribbed loyal to his principles guy and and what the movies do is sort of play him off against different scenarios that show how his principles kind of work and change so like start of Captain America 1 he's like the all-american hero and then the end of Civil War and 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 sort of the implied goings on after that between that and, and um Infinity War he's now on the run um and, and because his principles are that he will always do what he thinks is right and it turns out the end of Civil War that actually sided with his best friend because he couldn't not and and he, he couldn't face telling Tony the truth which I just think is a brilliant spin uh Thor you know this Shakespearean alien thing who then in the third movie becomes this like weird he-man 80s thing and I think we, we can get into like how the MC movies do kind of do allow for a little bit of creativity with their directors and what they want to do, but within the context of the thing, of the overall story. Um, and so he goes from this kind of like really kind of serious character to being this goofball, which actually works amazingly. And then Hulk is probably in some ways the most interesting where he has his own movie. They change the actor. They realize they can't easily do him as a solo character. So he becomes this bit player in all these movies where he changes just completely. But in, where the time you get to Endgame and the, the five-year gap, He's gone from being the rage monster to being just this like really chill dude who's got green gray skin. And when called to be the rage monster, it's just like, whatever. This is just like, I can't be bothered. I'm just going to do this because I have to. Which is really, I mean, you don't see that in Bond or even like Batman or, you know, the Spider-Man movies. Like you don't see that shift. And and, and because the central character has to be the central character. And so like you can't kill them off and then sort of have the story, story continue on. Or you can't, make them into a background player, but then still have, have them as the central character. Is that, is that because of their central characterness, or is it, and I guess it could be both of these, but, or is it a factor of what bond doesn't have and what, I mean, the Nolan, the Nolan trilogy does, but Batman as a franchise doesn't is continuity. Right. Like there are characters, characters recur across the Bond movies, but there isn't some developing storyline across the 20 plus films. Mm. Um, And and so it's a it's almost, you know, it's it's going back to like episodic TV, you know, like watching watching the difference between Star Trek The Next Generation and Star Trek Deep Space Nine, where you know, with the next generation, basically at the end of every episode, the the status quo has been reset to what it was at the beginning. And you can kind of, you know, you could watch them in any order and not miss anything. Whereas it's not a serialized storytelling thing of Deep Space Nine, where if you if you watch them out of order, you're gonna have no idea what's going on. And I wonder how much the the growth and change of character depends on the serialized, because you know, if if you if you sat down and watched Bonds one through twenty, and he grew as a character over the course of those, that would require you watching them in that order and with a developing story and a story that gave a reason for him to change and grow as a character. But if everything is meant to be a standalone one-off adventure, it would be it would be awfully hard to have the character develop in different directions, except to just kind of have them be a radically different character every time you saw them, which I mean could work. And that happens in comics, right? Like Mm. comics often have their, you know, here's our kind of bizarro world stories or out of continuity stories where suddenly, you know, like Batman is a crime fighter in the wild West or something. You can do that, but that's not, 
that's that's like a different approach. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, uh, I guess if you just had a bunch of standalone movies, you just end up having sort of spin-offs. So, um, I mean, I, I guess something. What's what's the more recent movie that's had spin-offs? Probably something like Fast and the Furious. Like now they've got this like Hobbs and Shaw spin-off thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, like, I guess, I mean, you're right. It has to be serialized for it to work like this. Uh, you could have, you could do it episodically. It would just, yeah, it, it wouldn't really work though, because I guess, well, well at least you wouldn't work as interesting. So I guess to just go back to Tony Stark, what is interesting is that in that shift, you you can use him differently, where if every, at the end of every movie, he's back to the start, well, you couldn't really do that. All you could do is sort of change the circumstances, which is, I guess, what Bond does. Bond just... They just shift the circumstances, they shift the baddie, they shift the locations, but in the end, he's still, you know, sleeping with the girls and, you know, posing and looking cool in his suit and his Aston Martin. So, um, I mean, and even, even the one where they, they broke some of that with the, um, where he gets married, they, yeah. they just kill his wife off at the end Yeah, too. Like, I mean, which is kind of the most brutal reset to status quo. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, they, they tried to sort of do a little bit differently with the most recent uh, Daniel Craig films mm-hmm. like nominally they are all linked um, but the connection's not very strong I mean so yeah like Quantum of Solace le- takes off I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly immediately after the end of Casino Royale um, and his his quest is to to get the killers of his girlfriend but it's not it, you know to say that he grows eh, not really like he's still yeah. kind of the same guy um, so yes, it has to be serialized. Like that is the key thing. And, and doing that well, it's clearly proven to be very difficult because lots of people want to do it, including other franchises at uh, Disney and they can't seem to get it right. So, uh, and I think this is where, I mean, it's almost like, you know, people talk about, you know, the auteur and, you know, the genius director that has this, you know, body of work. Um, and in some ways I think Kevin Feige and the producers of, of, of Marvel or Marvel movies like they're they're the auteur in this process so uh they're the ones who like clearly inside kevin feige's brain is a process that other people don't can't easily emulate because for better or for worse i mean i know a lot of people can you know talk about kind of the the i you could charitably call consistency you know like they're basically the, the they all kind of are quite the same it works it, it you know if you want to tell those big stories it does actually pretty, work pretty well um and and I think in terms of like consistency, like the worst, the worst MCU MCU movies, I guess Thor two and Captain Marvel. In my personal opinion, I've got friends who disagree strongly on that one. Um, you know, they're still not terrible movies compared to like um, Suicide Squad or Justice League or you know, there's just like unbelievable rubbish that I just couldn't. You get you know, at the end of Captain Marvel, you're like mm, whatever. But like you get to the end of, I don't know if you watched Suicide Squad, uh, but it was just. Like, I did. Oh, oh, I just wish I could got back that time in my life. It was just awful. So yeah, I, I do think. I mean, you're right that that consistency is is part of it and is part of. I mean, it's obviously part of the success because there was never even even the bad ones are not terrible. They're all they're all watchable. They're all entertaining. They all have that that consistent voice and. And in that consistent voice is like, you know, a generally high level of wittiness. Mm. They have they have consistently charismatic characters. Yeah. 
Um, so even when the characters aren't deep, they're still they're still fun to listen to and watch interact. It it struck me. I was thinking about this like so my my eleven year old daughter recently got hooked on Doctor Who, mm. and so she's been watching the new Who. We tried yep. we tried watching a couple of episodes of old stuff, and she just it's as as is the case with me like she, we just can't get through it. It's too it's too slow and um and British, <laughs> um, but but the new Who like is is very similar because even even a mediocre episode of Doctor Who is still fun. Yeah. And and that a lot of that fun comes from like the individual episodes can frequently have nonsense plots. They frequently have, you know, they've got a villain and half the time that villain is forgettable. Yeah. Uh but what they always have is consistently high quality like dialogue. And just tremendously charismatic actors who you just really enjoy spending time with. And so, so there's a lot of, you know, there were a lot of episodes when I've been, I've watched maybe half of the ones as she watches them. And there were ones that I completely had forgotten about, you know, um, from, from like a plot and, and villain standpoint, but it still is like, oh yeah, like I know these, these central characters I know, and I knew who they are and it's fun to get to go back and spend time with them again, because they're so charismatic. And I feel like that's been, that's been key to the success of the Marvel movies and what, what enables them to ride through the, you know, the less than stellarly plotted ones or the ones that seem like something of a misfire, um, or that are just kind of, like this is my feeling about Captain Marvel was I thought I just thought it was kind of boring. Yeah. Uh, yeah. or and and didn't have it felt like it felt like the um it felt like the prelude to something. Like yeah. it was all the movie felt like it was entirely establishment without any kind of core narrative arc or resolution. Yeah. Uh, and, and I and, think I mean that's probably fair, particularly for that one. I think I think most of them do are just filler. Um, you know, I think Captain Marvel verges on the edge of filler. Um, though to fair, it has, also, has one of my favorite Australian actors, Ben Mendelssohn, who was the the scroll, the lead scroll, who's just the best yes. in everything, and I just love him in everything. So that gave me yeah, some. For comfort. me, he'll for me he'll always be Orson Krennic in Rogue yes. One. Yes. Oh, he's uh, so good in that movie. I can't. Yeah. I can't deal with it. He's so great. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I. I think that movie, and it is, you talked about like continuity. I, my kids had, they've seen a handful of the Marvel movies, but once we got Disney plus and they're like almost all on there, um, we decided like, I was like, okay, we'll just, you know, periodically for movie night, we'll start at the beginning and we'll work our way through all of them. Um, which frustrated my younger son, uh, to, to no end because all of his friends were talking about having seen Endgame and he yeah. wanted to watch Endgame. And I was like, no, we're not going to watch Endgame <laughs> until you've seen like the 20 movies yeah, yeah. that came before Buckling, it. You know. uh, yeah. But, uh, but one thing I did notice going back and we, we watched, so we, we watched the first Avengers um, is there's some, there's some continuity problems that Captain Marvel seems to introduce. There's some stuff that gets said by characters in that that doesn't make sense in light of like they lived through the events of Captain Marvel. Sure. Um, so, but but it is but you're right. It is like as as a large story arc. It was clearly like the at least the the major beats of it were all thought out in advance, and the clues were dropped. Um, and I've I've said this before, but it's like 
it astonishes me. Well, first off, it's astonishing that like they were able to do this mm. in the sense of someone said, okay, what we're going to do <laughs> is instead of like, as you said, you know, we, we make one movie if it's successful, we'll green light another. They were more like, here's, you know, these are all like hundred million dollar films mm. or more. Um, and we're going to commit to like letting you develop out a, you know, huge arcs of these things. Um, like you got to be pretty confident in that. But it's also it's also astonishing how obvious doing it this way seems in retrospect yeah. and and why it's not been the case. Like clearly like the Star Wars movies, the the new trilogy of Star Wars movies was not done this way at all. No, um, no and it shows no, and it's baffling. Don't. Yes. I, I, I couldn't agree more on that. And I, I think that's the best sort of counterpoint of like the production process gone wrong. So Kathleen Kennedy, the head of Lucasfilm, she has got a stellar like resume. Like she's done like all this stuff with Spielberg, you know, um, ET, and just like you know, just great work. And then she comes on board, and whatever's in Kevin Feige's brain is clearly not in hers because they completely cack-handed the the process of writing these movies. And this is you know, this is obviously stuff that they don't tell us because you know we don't see behind the veil, but. Uh, going by what Ryan Johnson said about after he came on board, he's like, they didn't have a plan, which I think anybody who likes movies and, you know, I mean, I I think Star Wars, I, I like the concept of Star Wars more than I actually like the movies themselves. I think I think the original one's good. I think Empire Strikes Back is great. I think Return of the Jedi is like, mm, okay, it's mostly okay. And then obviously the prequels are the prequels. And, um... You know, but like, if you're given like it's 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 the goose that leads the golden egg. Like it's you know this is this is the once in a lifetime opportunity to do the thing that everybody wants you to do, and they didn't have a plan. And 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 it, as you said, it just totally shows. Like and and this is kind of where you know. So I think I think it might have been during the the episode you did with um, with Corey about Batman, and so bringing out the idea of you know Marvel would be more interesting if they had kind of more directly vision. I mean, I think. I think Star Wars kind of shows how that can go really wrong because, like, obviously, Rise of Skywalker and and uh, Force Awakens are, are J.J. Abrams movies. Like, the plot about them is like fits with his sure. thing. The com- complete lack of originality, in my view, is his thing. Like, he just doesn't seem to have like genuinely interesting new ideas. It's always just re- retreads of other things. Um, and, and so, like, it's you know, like. I don't guess, you know, Ryan Johnson wrote and directed the movie and it doesn't sound like much of what he wanted to do was sort of like had the production staff going, whoa, okay, let's let's hold it back here where, you know, in the MCU, famously, Ant-Man was going to be directed by Edgar Wright, one of my favourite directors, or at least he's made a bunch of movies that I really love, and he pulled out because they wanted to bring Ant-Man more into the MCU and he wasn't so down for that. Um so yeah, like you know, what happens when you give directors free hand with Star Wars? Well, they make crap. <laughs> they write crap. Um, well, I think. Sometimes. I think though. Yeah. I mean, to to defend it a bit, I think the problem is not was not giving directors a free hand. It was giving multiple directors a free hand for parts of a trilogy. Mm. That if that's fair, if they had, you know, like. So I think that had set aside the issues of unoriginality and all that had had like, you know, Abrams been given all three of the new Star Wars movies, um, we would still have we'd still have the critiques of, you know, rehashing old stuff and all that. But I think they would have been you would have ended up with a coherent narrative arc. 
that didn't seem that each movie was kind of trying to undo what happened in the film yes. before. Yes, absolutely. Um, and and I think that had Ryan Johnson been given his own Star Wars movie where he could have run in the direction he wanted without being bound by, you know, obviously it's a Star Wars movie, so you're bound by a fair amount of what came before yes. in terms of the universe, but um but he could have told his own story in that universe. And and I think we see this too though with um with the two standalone films that we got, which I think are on, are in my mind, the best of the five Disney star Wars movies. Um, like I think, I think rogue one is unquestionably the best of the Disney star Wars. Agreed. And, and might be, you know, in my mind, the, maybe the second best star Wars movie ever made. Ooh, big uh, but, and, and I think solo is solo is fun, light, fair that works really well and is a nice little story doing its own thing. Um, and, and so I think, I think part of the problem is like, you can't, the, the strong willed director with his or her own vision works if they can tell their own story. But, but yeah, if you have someone come in 12 films into the MCU's carefully plotted out arc and they decide to just run in a crazy direction with it, it's not going to work. But if you have, here's a spinoff, you can get away with that. The counterpoint is that they did, and it's called Thor Ragnarok. So uh, Taika Waititi, he's a, a New Zealand director. He's he Basically, before this, he'd just basically done quaint New Zealand, you know, comedies. Like, you know, by the way, if you haven't seen Boy or Heron from the World of People, the movies by Taika Waititi, you should need to see them. They're family movies. They're amazing. I love them so much. But um. You know, we're talking like, uh, so yeah, Hunt for the Wilder People was like the most successful Kiwi movie of all time. And it was like a $2 million film. And they're like, got him to come and do the third installment of, you know, uh, the Thor series. And it is an, just wildly, completely tonally different. Like they basically, I don't know how much acid they were on when they decided to do this, but like, let's go from being stuffy Shakespearean, you know, sort of Lord of the Rings meets Star Wars type imagery to this like crazy out there 80s He-Man, like extravaganza with Jeff Goldblum just being himself. Like, yeah, it's, it's, hey, it's the best thing. I think it's, it's, well, definitely it's, I don't think it's my favorite, but I think it's like the best MCU movie in terms of like just landing the tone right, landing the comedy right. Like everything about it is amazing. Um, uh, and and you know that that's what there's only two or three movies before they did Infinity War. So and and it radically shifted the tone of the character because it, Thor goes from being this like super tough guy to being this complete goofball, and that's that's pretty deep, you know, like in 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 the overall telling of the things. And I think I mean I think there have been. It's interesting. Like the more I've sort of thought about, it, like they have obviously. Not across the board, but certainly like Iron Man 3 is very much the vision of, of uh, Shane Black, who wrote the original Lethal Weapon, he might have done some of the other ones. Um, you know, he does, he's actually a really good fit in terms of, he does really sort of snappy dialogue with sarcastic characters and that's like Tony Stark to a T. And so even even though I think Iron Man 3 is not a perfect film, I think it really does showcase his vision. Guardians of the Galaxy is very much James Gunn's vision. Um and it's great that they're bringing him back for the third one. Uh, and yeah, like Taika with, with uh, Thor Ragnarok. So yeah, like obviously not every director has... Oh, oh well, also, um, what's his name? It's for Black Panther. I can't remember the, uh, the director's name. Uh, Ryan Coogler, I think it is. Um, right, yeah. 
again, not a perfect film, but I think it does showcase like, you know, they gave him this this to play with and he, and he took it in, in the direction that he wanted to go. So obviously it's not completely unrestrained. Like we don't have Jodorowsky's like Iron Man 4. Like that would be wild. Like, just having something that's completely mental, but like by a guy who hasn't even read the material. Um, like a David Lynch MCU movie would be like a novelty. Um but like within the context of this overall story, I think they've actually allowed for a bit of like it's not as bland as people make it out to be. And I think I think overall the quality, like the best MCU movies, I think are actually really quite great. Like I think if the Captain America movies had been a standalone trilogy, I think it would have been sort of seen maybe not in the same light as the Nolan films, because I think the Nolan films have a guy who really knows how to direct. Like Chris Nolan just like he is probably the best director of the kind of the last twenty years. Um, but certainly in terms of like storyline and the character, like I think that story as a standalone trilogy is like really quite good. And like um, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, I think is a terrific Spider-Man film. Like That's the only one I haven't, or no, that's, I saw that one. I haven't seen okay, it. The it was the home. last one. Far From Up. Yeah, that's the only one I haven't seen. It's okay. It's pretty good. Like it's, it's certainly like, it's still really quite good. It's like just, I think Homecoming just like I'm always about the villains and and uh, Vulture in in Homecoming, I think is just a it's just like one of the best villains. Like I think he's just probably more than any other is like a completely rounded character, not just a really good bad guy. So yeah, so that's why I like Homecoming so much. But um, yeah, I mean I think the quality of Marvel is actually on average is you know probably better than average, but I think the high points are actually quite high. Um, yeah, I can I can agree with that, and I think the the ones that you mentioned as having the vision, um, having the director's vision, so Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor Ragnarok and Black Panther, um, the other thing that they have going for them is they're also the most visually interesting yeah. of of any of them, and that's that's been my one, you know, I and I think I may have mentioned this in the the Batman episode, but like mm. I recognize that the Marvel movies are on the whole, you know, significantly higher quality than like the DC movies. Um, yes. <laughs> but, but if you, I think I am more likely to rewatch some of the DC movies than a lot of the Marvel movies. Um, and, and it's, it has a lot to do with the visual style yeah. because they're, I think the DC movies are bad, but they're visually like gorgeous in a way that very few of the Marvel so movies just like, are. Right, when you like, say DC movie, do you just mean like the, the you know um Jack's, Zack Snyder onwards movies or are you talking about I, Nolan? for the most part for the most part um I think the Nolan films have some visually gorgeous stuff in them um but the the Snyder ones because Snyder has such a like he's you know if you there are there are directors who you can like their style can be parodied you yeah. know because it's such they have like such yeah, a yeah, strong yeah. identity that yeah. you can immediately um and and Snyder is one of those. Like, you know exactly what a Snyder movie is going to look like. And he has an eye that is like very much his own. Yeah. And, um, and I think it's an eye that works mm. for, for comic book stuff. Yeah, I agree particular. with that. Yeah. Um, and, and I wish, I always wish that the Marvel movies leaned more into their comic bookiness. Like I, I wrote an essay years ago where I, I kind of set out that I thought like they were DC and Marvel approached making their movies differently, approached bringing comic books to the screen differently. And that, that a Marvel movie was attempting to show you what the world looks like with superheroes in it. Mm. 
And the DC movies were attempting to show you what a comic panel looks like if it's moving on the screen in front of you. Sure. Um, and and there's there was a there's a pretty good YouTube video um, from years ago about like why do the Marvel movies kind of look flat? And I think yeah. that's part of it too is that they they have like a somewhat a lot of them have like kind of a drab color palette. Um, they don't have the lighting and the the use of lenses is, is such that it has it does have kind of a flat look to it and the but the ones that you mentioned are the ones that really stand out like thor ragnarok is not a flat looking movie oh, no. at all <laughs> um, both both in terms of like you know staging and just how much stuff is going on in the frame but also just like the i mean it's it's a movie where they just took like every color they could think of and tried to use it at once yeah. um and and so it just pops and um and so, yeah, those, I mean, those definitely do stand out and the like Black Panther doesn't have, I don't think it's from a direction standpoint is not as interesting as Thor Ragnarok, no, but it does have from, but from a production design standpoint, yeah. like the, you know, the setting and the costumes are, are fantastic and really stand out among the Marvel films. Um, and, and that's why, I mean, I guess if there were one thing that I wish the rest of the movies did, I wish more of them had that kind of like heightened visual language. I mean, I think that probably comes down to the directors themselves, you know, because obviously you can't, so like, uh, this is one of the things that I, I re- realized when I was thinking about this yesterday, like Joss Whedon, we forget that Joss Whedon, like you watch Avengers one, it's very much a, a movie in his style of comedy and dialogue. So, um, and even the, the, the second Avengers film, it still has like his imprint on it, like from the very outset where like Captain America swears and they've already gives him a hard time about it for like the rest of the movie. Um, and that's because that's how you look at the rest of everything he's made. That's how he writes dialogue. Um, and, you know, if you watch Thor Ragnarok, like obviously it's about, you know, $150 billion more than he's ever spent on another movie. But like that style of movie making is very much his style. Um, uh, I, yeah, so, like, I think in some ways maybe the issue is actually, like, just finding directors who can provide that vision. Like, it's not easy to find directors who are competent in their job, who you can safely give, you know, $100, $150 million to make a movie and make a product that, like, works and you're not going to end up, like, clashing with them over vision of the movie. But then also have, right, like, right. actual skill. Because if you get the established person, they're not going to let you... They're not going to let you dictate yeah. in the way. Like if you ask if Steven gonna... Spielberg to do a, do a Marvel movie, like he's going to come along and be like, this is how I'm making the movie. And like, if you're trying to have this continuity, like that doesn't always work. Like you just end up with difficulty. Um, so like, I think it's, you know, it's just hard finding good directors. Like, you know, I, I don't know if that's a problem necessarily with the MCU itself. I mean, it, I think it's just a hard problem in general. Uh, and I think, so Zack Snyder is a good example where if you watch Watchmen, it, watch Watchmen. Uh, if you uh, watch, uh, what was the one he did after Watchmen? Um, with all the girls, I can't remember. But they did- Sucker Punch? Sucker Punch, that's it, yeah. Um, you know, he has that style. That's how he does movies. Um, and so obviously, he's, that's good. That, I think you're right in that that does bring a certain flair to um, uh, to his movies, uh, which actually, I, I think Better Steel is actually not a bad film. Uh, I got a friend, Steve, if you happen to listen, he's going to be screaming into the universe because we've <laughs> spent about 10 years, however long it's been out, like arguing whether it's a good movie or not. But I mean, yeah, Batman versus Superman, it's like, I I kind of want to like it. I can't, I, I can't because it's just so bad. But like, there's there's like a good movie buried in there some, at some stage. Um, 
Uh, yeah, it I, also has, and this is the other thing that the the Snyderverse DC movies have over is Batman versus Superman has a phenomenal score. Yeah, like there are yeah. there are some like amazing pieces of music in that, yeah. um, and 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 with the Marvel movies outside of maybe the Avengers theme, yeah, Pretty there's hard. not really like a there's no character has a theme that like lives up to like Wonder Woman's theme yeah. in the justice league movies that is like, so kind of in your face and, you know, and just strong in its, its composition. Um, and, and so, yeah, so I wish like, and part of that is like taking risks too, right? Like, like wonder woman's theme is actually kind of caustic. It's like, it's not, it's not a pleasant, like easy listening piece of music. Um, and, and so it stands out in the film. Um, and I, which makes it which makes it a risk to do something like that. And I think that there is a the Marvel movies feel like they are they're willing to they're certainly willing to take risks in their storytelling, mm. as we've talked about, like yeah. so Civil War and then killing off characters in Endgame and I mean Infinity uh, and War killing them is, off for real. Incredibly risky thing. Like you look at it you're like, okay, this has got like twenty main characters. Like I, yes. I went into the expecting this is gonna be rubbish. Like if, if this is just not a complete train wreck, I'm gonna be happy. And I walked away going, that's just an incredible film because they actually managed to have every character be themselves, be distinctively themselves. They mix them all up in different combinations so that you kind of get to see different aspects of the same characters that you've been seeing for so long. And yeah, and, I think, and, and, I think and it doesn't that... fall apart. Like it should fall apart. It's just it's completely overstuffed, and yet it works amazingly. I think part of that is them saying, um, we are going to these are the, you know, these are the final two movies in our you know, two decades long story arc that we've been working on. Um, or it's not two decades long, but it's gone over two decades yeah. of time. Um, and and basically everyone in the world has seen these movies. I mean, just based on box office receipts. Yeah. Um, and so so they could go into those final two and say, we are making, we are make we're telling the end of this story for the people who have been with us from day one sure and we're not going to try to make these movies work at all for people who these are the first marvel movies they've seen sure. and so yeah. if you went into it if you had never seen a marvel movie and the first one you saw was infinity war i think your assessment of it would be very different yeah sure. oh absolutely right? yeah like yeah. you would have no idea what was happening and you'd be like none of these characters got enough screen time and i don't know who any of them were uh, I, but I that's think by the end of the movie you, you could probably could... identify who they are though like i think if you'd never seen a marvel movie like you know, like Spider-Man is clearly, I mean, obviously Spider-Man, everybody's going to recognize because he's Spider-Man, but like, you could probably be like, oh, there's this guy who does this thing. Like, I think, I think one of like, so yeah, like it should have been a train wreck, but I think they did manage, but it didn't because like each character kind of, you can identify them individually within this massive story just by like how they are and how they interact with others. So like, yes, I agree. Like you definitely wouldn't have any idea what's going on, but like, I think you'd be like, oh, there was this this character, and there's this character. Like you'd sort of be able to recognize them. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Which, which I think, I mean, like, it, but that's right. I mean, like, if you watch, you don't start the Godfather trilogy by God, watching Godfather three. Like, it's just the nature of of any kind of franchise, and you know, like serialized story, storytelling. That like, you know, the longer it goes on, the harder it is, and and I think that's going to be an ongoing problem for the MCU of like, how do you make it so that you don't have to watch twenty movies to watch the next one. Um, but yeah, I, I think, yeah, it's, it's, 
there, there is some risk there. I agree. It's much less risky. And actually, I was going to say, that's right, about the music side of things. So there was a, a, a YouTube video essay channel called Every Frame a Painting. And they, yes. did a, they did a... I think that may be my favorite YouTube channel. Yes. Oh, so good. You should, uh, yeah, I don't know if you do show notes, but definitely. And there's actually a reply that a guy did, an Australian guy did to that video, which is basically, you know, why does the Marvel movie music suck so much? And the the reply, like, it comes from a guy who works in the industry and he's like, this is how they make movie music. Um, and it actually does a really good job of explaining, I think, Star Wars and how Star Wars basically rips off a bunch of other stuff. But because it's Star Wars, everybody thinks it's, like, unique and individual. So that was quite interesting. So, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I think um, I think the other thing that, that that those closing two movies had, which has been a, I think, a, a problem for for not all of the MCU films, but for a lot of them, is they have a pretty good villain. Yes, tying it together. So you've got you know the the person around whom the story revolves is is someone who is interesting whenever he has screen time. Yeah, um, and. And so you can have the characters because we've, you know, those movies are overstuffed with characters. Um, You can have them come and go, but they're all, they're all tied into this guy's narrative and this guy is interesting. Yeah. And and that helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and that has been like, so you mentioned, you mentioned like Vulture in, um, in Spider-Man Homecoming. uh, But, that I think has been a real problem for the Marvel movies in terms of quality is that probably more often than not, the villain is relatively forgettable um, or, or just isn't, isn't a screen presence, you know, like I'm, I'm trying to think of, you know, the villains who really stand out like Loki, obviously. um, And I happened to like, I think my maybe my favorite Marvel villain is Ultron. Yeah. Um, just because I think James Spader's like performance yeah. is so good. Yes. And I and agree. the character is yeah. just like the way that voice and the cadence of it and is just so good. Um but but there aren't that many that stand out. Yeah. And um whereas and this go back to like the you know, the DC movies, and maybe this is because like I think a lot of the Marvel characters are very famous, but I feel like D- DC has all the famous villains. Yes. Um, and, and so and also, we know going in. Yeah, like the DC, like really, like Heath Ledger as the Joker is by far and away like the best. Like, so basically in my pantheon of like great villains, you've got Vader because of course, and then you've got mm-hmm. Heath Ledger as the Joker. And to be honest, Heath Ledger as the Joker is like way more interesting than Vader. Like he just... And this is this is actually uh, just to go to the to what you said about Thanos, where like the villain is driving the plot, and you know, like kind of almost everything's around around him. I mean, the Joker in Dark Knight, just like he's just all like yeah, like he's this overwhelming presence in the entire movie, and that performance is just so good, and the character is so well developed. Like it's, I mean, it, it's just a phenomenal film, and mainly because of the villain. And so yeah, I, I definitely agree that villains matter, and. Getting good. I'll I mean, also say. Sorry, yeah, keep going. I, I'll also say. I just this might be a heresy, but I think. Um, I actually think I like Bane more than the Joker. Okay. In that, um, I, I think the Joker's fantastic, but there's just something, and this is part of this is just like I mean, Tom Hardy is always like yes. he just owns the screen yes, when he goes on it, yeah. but like Bane's, Bane's presence like is just 
they keep saying charismatic villains, but Bane yeah. is like a tremendously charismatic villain. Yeah. Um, in, in a way and, that's not like other charismatic villains. Like he is not a great talker. Like, you know, um, uh, probably a good example in the MC movie, MCU movies is Justin Hammer. So uh, Sam Rockwell's character in, in Iron Man 2, where he's just like, he's basically Tony Stark, but bad. And also kind of dopey, but he's just a talker. Like, and that's what makes him charismatic. Tom Hardy in that movie, he's just, like, he just exudes this like charisma, even though he's this like gorilla of a man who you can barely understand with the, with the mask on him. But like, yeah, he just has this like intensity to him. It's like, you just can't not see him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think that's, I mean, I guess like looking forward because you're right. It's hard to see. It's hard to see exactly what Marvel does from here. Yeah. Because, because yeah, if they do another, we're going to take 20 plus films, tie them all together into one story and you've got to see them all. Yeah. It will get exhausting. Yeah. Like I was getting, you know, I was getting kind of Marvel fatigue, uh, towards the end of like oh my god it's been it's been three months and now there's another one of these movies out um and and so that seems but uh, but i guess i mean every movie makes a billion bucks and yeah. they don't seem to be slowing down no. right so if it you know if it works it works yeah. um but i guess i would prefer if this next phase of the marvel cinematic universe goes in more kind of standalone or mini arc directions. And especially as, I mean, they, like you said, they managed to pull off the juggling trick of Infinity War and Endgame with the number of characters they had. Yeah. But as they introduce even more, that's just not going to be, I mean, granted they killed some off or removed some from the scene, but still. Yeah. And, and, and also like the freight, the, the reason I wanted to bring them together was, shield and uh uh why am i forgetting sam jackson's character nick fury you know that's what brings the avengers together and kind of creates this overall storyline well that's obviously not a thing now and and the characters that remain who you know the leads of the different movies they've got coming there's no inherent there's nothing inherently tying them together other than they beat thanos together so yes whether they there will be an avengers five um is an interesting question uh yeah, I think. I mean, this is why I'm actually keen to keep watching because I'm I'm genuinely interested. I mean, I think Benedict Cumberbatch. I, I mean, I think Doctor Strange is not a great film, but the cast was like phenomenal, and Benedict Cumberbatch is just such a great actor. Like, how, it's almost hard to not like him in anything. Um, you know, and then they've got some new yeah, characters coming out. I'm curious that the soup. I mean, the sequel. The Doctor Strange Two is supposed to be going kind of in like a full horror direction. Yeah. Um, which could, I mean, granted, depending on if it's PG thirteen or you know R, but um, but that's the kind of thing. Like one of the things that I think makes superheroes compelling characters, you know, is is their malleability. Yeah. Um, and so you know, Batman is kind of the quintessential example of this. Of he's been like radically different characters over his run, but they all work and they're all identifiably Batman. Um, but, but you can take these weird costumed, um, I mean, is it, I think Warren Ellis calls them underwear perverts, uh, but nice. you know, you can take these people and you can, you can shove them into all sorts of yep. different times and places and genres yeah. and whatnot. And I, I would like to see like doing, yeah, Dr. Strange would work very well as a horror yeah. 
It's like a big, bright, um, colorful, but also kind of creepy, weird cosmic horror thing. Um, right. And so, so I, I would love to see them try a bit more stuff like that, even if they still are maintaining the, the level of creative control from, you know, from central Marvel slash Disney headquarters of, of the characters and, you know, the style of, you know, the dialogue feels very consistent throughout all the movies. I mean, even, so even you mentioned like Thor Ragnarok as being kind of an outlier, but even in that one, like the characters change, but like the, the pay, the, the cadence of the dialogue, yeah. the style of the sure. dialogue feels very Marvel, yeah. right? Um, it all it all ultimately feels very Joss Whedon to me. Like he kind of set the tone with Avengers for what what Marvel characters talking to each other sounds like. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I mean, I, I think that's, you know, I mean, there probably, maybe there are more ways to do dialogue, but I think, you know, I mean, it's like Tarantino, like basically everybody who wants to have like, kind of interesting banter between characters always kind of ends up sounding like Tarantino just because like there's only so many ways you can sort of cut and dice the, 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 how to do, how to have people interact with each other and have it be, be that way. So, you know, you need a David Mamet Marvel. <laughs> sure. Yeah. That could be interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, I think uh, just in terms of sort of like where things are going, I mean, the big one is like, what do they do with X-Men? What do they do with Fantastic Four? Cause now that they've bought Fox, they've got the rights to those characters um and and you know that's that's gonna have a big impact because i mean x-men even on its own is sort of like a sub-universe within marvel so to you know what are they where do they go with that how much do they integrate it within the overall plot how many movies like do they sort of have almost where x-men become its own standalone franchise sort of sub-franchise i don't know i mean it, i i would have thought that at a, um comic-con this year they would have announced uh you know the the second half of phase four um, but I, maybe that won't happen because they've delayed everything by six months because of the coronavirus. So, yeah, I, I think that's that's going to be one of the big big ones. And then Fantastic Four. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if they use Fantastic Four to anchor their next kind of expansion, like you know, almost become the new Avengers. Where because you know, I, I, so I don't read comics, but like I kind of read about them and uh, know about them. And and from my understanding, Fantastic Four is again one of those sort of pillars of comics you know they are uh you know a, a, a big deal and so maybe they'll use that i mean bringing in dr doom i've got a friend who who shares panels on facebook of comics and he just loves dr doom and i, I gotta say i love him as well just from what i've seen he's just this like talk about great villains like he's just this like completely like megalomaniacal character that has this incredible charisma and just like kind of like loki in in um in Thor Ragnarok, where he's just like he's a he's there, you know he's he's troublesome, but like you kind of like him as well, and you kind of he's he's sometimes on your side, but sometimes he's not. You, you never quite know where it's going to land. So maybe you know maybe that's the way they unite these things is kind of by bringing in X Men, bringing in Fantastic Four. They become the kind of new pillars of the overall continuity. You know, in terms of the team up type stuff. Um, it's yeah, I guess it's. In some ways, it's like where we were after sort of Avengers, or, you know, Iron Man 1. Like, I remember watching it and going, oh, my goodness, they're going to do the Avengers. What's it going to look like? And now, I guess, what is it, 20, uh, 12 years later, uh, 13 years later, we can sort of look back and see how it played out. And we're now at a new spot where we're sort of looking forward to, okay, well, we know there's going to be this shared universe. How are they going to do it? Like, it, you know, it's hard to see what they're going to do. And, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. 
If you enjoyed this conversation or any of the conversations I've had on this podcast and want to hear more from me, take a moment to sign up for my very infrequent newsletter where I talk about what I'm working on, reading, and thinking about. You can find it at AaronRossPowell.com or follow the link in the show notes.